0: Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. Today's message was originally preached on August 16th, 2020 by Pastor Rod Heppel, and it is the third message in our sermon series, Gospel and Cultural Fluency. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. Okay, we're into this sermon series called Gospel and Cultural Fluency. So what do we mean, and why is this important? Now, You may have heard of the statement, he or she is so heavenly minded they are no earthly good. What that means when we're talking about gospel and cultural fluency is that we have to keep both heaven and earth in mind as we walk through life. Heaven, the gospel, intersects with earth, the culture. And our job as disciples of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus, is to pay attention to both and to be able to engage in both fluently. In other words, to own it for ourselves. So in the first sermon series, or in the first sermon that Rob preached in this series, he said this. We need to believe, speak, and live out the truths of Jesus. That's the gospel. In everyday life in the world we live, that's the culture. So put another way, gospel and cultural fluency is all about loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. If you just love God and not your neighbor, well then, you know, I'm not much help to my neighbor. And if I love my neighbor, but I don't love God, then I'm not much good to God or my neighbor. I think this is where we as Christians sometimes get stuck. We think we have to choose between the two. And as good Christians, we choose gospel. Like gospel over culture. So we're going to love God over loving our neighbor. But in doing so, we lose sight of what the gospel is all about. We can't separate loving God from loving our neighbor because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is not about me and God, it's about me and God and you. Now, I know that we know this, and the truth is, uh, it's easy to forget. It's easy to uh, become separated from the world, and, and we want to be together with other people who believe God and trust him like we do. I get all that. But as a church, if we're not on mission for God in this world, then we're not being obedient to him. We're not truly being gospel. And as Rob said, our job is not to be changing the values of people in our culture, it's to lead them to Jesus, and Jesus Jesus is the one who changes the values. So, we must be committed to both gospel and cultural fluency. So, are you with me? Good. Now, in this series, we're identifying some of the cultural values that the gospel either redeems or redefines for us. Uh, we're looking at things like love and romance, money and wealth, power and glory, dreams and success. You've probably noted that there's these symbols that we keep showing, but maybe you've wondered what they all stand for. Some are obvious. Um, First off, what they are, they're little stores. They're the stores of life where we shop, Uh, the store of love and the store of money, the store of success and fame and power. The symbol that Pastor Tim used last week is the one that people couldn't figure out what it was. Uh, And it's the store of dreams, Uh, dreams and ambitions. If you look closely, that's a cloud. So yet it dreams, cloud. Now, Tim was speaking about Joseph and the dreams that Joseph had, and yet God had dreams for Joseph's life, the plans that he had for him. And if you miss that sermon, you can go back and watch it. So you'll see that that cloud is very clever. I want to thank Jonathan Sloan, who makes our slides for us. So today I'm looking at power and glory and how the gospel redefines what they are. What comes to mind for you when you think of the word power? Maybe it makes you think of political power, world leaders like these ones. Or maybe some of you remember the old version of the Disney movie, Aladdin, when the king's advisor, Jafar, wants to have ultimate power. Uh, Aladdin kind of baits him with the fact that he is only second best when it comes to power because the genie is more powerful than him. So Jafar, realizing that this is true, uses his last wish to become the most powerful genie having ultimate power in the universe now of course the irony of this is that a genie spends his life in a wee little lantern so back into the lantern the all-powerful genie goes such also is the irony for those whose ambitions are nothing but selfish so the question i'm asking here is does our culture value power and i think it does you know there are a lot of movies that are based on Who's the strongest, the greatest, the most powerful, the best? Like all the Marvel and DC movies where they're trying to prove who's the greatest superhero. I mean, is it Iron Man? Is it Superman? Is it Wonder Woman? Is it Thor? Or is it Dr. Bruce Banner when he gets a little upset and turns into the Hulk? Right? Now these are all different kinds of pictures of power. Power in politics, power in position, power in wealth, power in relationships, in technology, power in nature not only see power all around us, we're actually caught up in it as well. So last week I was hiking, and I saw a couple of pictures of power. The first one was we hiked to a waterfall, and we saw rushing water. And you know, maybe you have been in a place where you've seen water just squeeze through a narrow passage of a channel a rock, and it bursts out the other side. And it's an impressive display of power. The second thing that happened that day was that I was coming home from that hike on the freeway between Whatcom Road, road and number three road in Abbotsford and uh, I got a flat tire. Now fortunately I found a little pullout where I could pull over so I wasn't directly on the side of the highway just a little bit off the road but my back was to the road while I endeavored to put on the spare tire and the traffic was very heavy that day and the semi trucks were coming and every time a truck came I braced myself because when it went by the the power of the wind and the noise that it made just sent shivers down my spine. Even though I knew another truck was coming, it was so loud and so powerful that I couldn't stop from being scared. I'd also like to thank Noah Peters, a young mechanic in our church who was driving by at the time and uh, he pulled over with his wife Erin and he helped me out. So thanks Noah, you really saved my day. So we have lots of these different pictures of power all around us. The question is, does our culture value power? And I want to be fair in answering this. Uh, For sure, there are some who have this quest for power, and they use it in a very unhealthy and even abusive manner. That's why so many news stations stay in business, right? But I also want to acknowledge that within our Canadian culture, there are many people who advocate for a spirit of cooperation and kindness and respect, and they, they definitely seek to not misuse power, and I believe that's noteworthy. Many years ago, when I was in an intercultural class, my prof made this point. He said, in every culture, you're going to find things that are morally good, things that are morally bad, and things that are neither one nor the other. They're just morally neutral. And you have to discern which it is. And the caution that he gave us there is to not assume because it's different that it's bad. And as Christians, it's good for us to be able to affirm uh, a biblical, godly, moral quality that exists within our culture like the desire to cooperate and care and not be power-hungry. Now, that said, the premise of my message here today on talking about power and glory is that I believe buried deep within the human heart is this desire for power and glory in an unhealthy manner because it's motivated by selfish ambition. So to be clear, I don't want our message today to just focus on those obvious cases of abuse that we see in our culture today. It's just too easy to do, right? And then we all go home feeling good about ourselves because we think we're so much better than those people. And we think that we would do such a better job if we were in their shoes. So why do I say that? Well, I say it because Jesus has something to say to every single one of us today, not just those in these positions of power. We all need to really evaluate our own situation, whatever it might be, because we all have a certain level of power in the lives of others. Now, it could be in a marriage relationship or a dating relationship could be in a parent-child relationship. It could relate to school or work or the law. Uh, It could even be in friendships. We all have some level of power that we exercise in the relationships and in our lives, and Jesus has something to say to every one of us. The gospel redefines power. Jesus redefines what true power is and how we should handle it. So let's read what he has to say in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. Jesus called them, the disciples, together and said, "'You know that those who are regarded "'as the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, "'and their high officials exercise authority over them. "'Not so with you. "'Instead, whoever wants to become great among you "'must be your servant, "'and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. "'For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, "'but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.'" The predominant pattern of a person holding a position of power was to lord it over those who were under them. And Jesus just simply says, not so with you. This this is the heart of the message. People in places of power tend to lord it over those under them. Not so with those who follow Jesus. It's not that these people who have the authority... Shouldn't use their authority, it's that they shouldn't use it in a heavy handed way, that they shouldn't lord it over other people. Now, years ago, Pastor Dave and I were leading a, a, four, part, a four part series uh, seminar on parenting, and he had put it together and he called it Shaping Our Children. In one of the lessons, he had used this passage and he included the principle of not lording it over uh, your children as a parent. I remember thinking to myself at the time, what an unusual verse and principle to highlight. Uh, in this course. I mean, isn't parenting all about being the parent and not letting the kids rule the roost, so to speak? And yes, it is. However, it dawned on me that as a parent, if my approach in parenting, in, in shaping our kids, is from the perspective of actually being the boss and showing them who's the boss and lording it over them, then I haven't modeled to them how to handle the position of power. Yes, I am in a position of responsibility and authority over my children, but how will I handle it? Will I lord it over them, or will I model what it looks like to be a humble servant? Knowing how to handle power is a really tricky piece of work. Now, there's a context for Jesus saying these words to the disciples, and I want to look at the verses that precede the passage that we just read in Mark chapter 10. So we'll pick it up at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I baptize, I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten, the other disciples, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. You know, I've wondered if the others became indignant with James and John for what they had asked or because they hadn't thought of it first. You know, such is the nature of the human heart. So here we have this, this picture uh, of the disciples who, um, they realize that Jesus is someone special. He's a rabbi, yes, But you know he looks more than a rabbi he looks like he might be the messiah as well and they assume that this means that as the messiah he's going to set up his kingdom and James and John want to be in on this and not just in on it they want to be right up front and center with Jesus in his kingdom have you ever wanted a certain position or role like a promotion at work or to be the captain of a team uh, to be in leadership at church to get a certain part in a drama production you know we have to be careful of our ambitions These disciples wanted to reign with Jesus, but were they ready to face the suffering that Jesus would suffer before he would reign? You know, so Jesus asked them, can you drink the cup that I drink or the baptism I I have? And they're so naive. I mean, eventually, yes, they would face that suffering, and Jesus says that. But for him to give the right to who sits in his kingdom on the left or right, that wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't his prerogative. It was that of the Father's. So Jesus did not overstep his authority. So here's the bottom line for us as Christians. God's kingdom operates differently than the world does. It's basically opposite. It's the paradox, right? Everyone who wants to be a spiritual leader in God's kingdom will do so by being a servant. Jesus was the perfect example of this servant leader. Yes, he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, but he picks up the towel and he washes the disciples' feet. He does the role of a servant. So in God's economy a person is not great because they have a position or a title. A person is great if they become the servant to others, a slave to all. So what does that look like? Well, for Jesus, it meant giving his life. Verse 45 says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's like the ultimate. Jesus gave his life for us, and in so doing, he redefined what power is. Power is not force and control. It's the disciplined sacrifice to serve others, that's how you influence them. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God, and the message of God is the power of the cross. The death of Jesus redefines what power is. He gave his life for us. Oswald Sanders, in his book Spiritual Leadership, says, True greatness, true leadership is found in giving yourself in service to others, not in coaxing or uh, inducing others to serve you. You want power? Then become a servant. You might wonder then, well, what's the difference between using power correctly and abusing it? Well, Sanders goes on to say that the difference is the motivation of your heart. Are you doing what you're doing for God's glory or for your own? Are you doing what you're doing to serve others or is it self-seeking? A pastor friend of mine that I knew many years ago, in his prayer, he would often pray something uh, like this. He would say, as he's asking God to do something great, he says, and we will be sure to not touch the glory. Well, what does he mean by that? Uh, he's telling God up front in the prayer that our human heart is fickle and how easily we're kind of swept aside with pride and we take credit for things we shouldn't and it wrecks everything the credit belongs to God the glory belongs to God it belongs to him alone and you know my friend would say we're not going to mess with that God now God gives positions and authority and titles and power and he wants us to humbly use it for his glory In essence, Jesus is saying, you want to be great, serve others. Serve your spouse, serve your kids, serve your students, serve your community, serve your colleagues, serve your neighbor. You want to be first? You want to be the greatest in my kingdom? Serve your enemy. Become a slave to all. Now, I run the risk of being misunderstood here, and and maybe by those who hold positions of authority, as I do as a pastor in a church. I'm not saying that people in authority should not use their authority to bring correct judgment on a situation. Um, You have to. If, If you ignore your responsibility and don't use your authority, then you neglect what you've been called to do. The challenge that Jesus is bringing to this is that we are to examine our motives. Am I using my power to lord it over others because I want something out of it? Or am I truly a servant? In another sense, for those who are working hard to aspire to a position or a role, um, you know, they desire excellence. Excellence is not a sin, but we need to check our motivation. So here are two diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves. One, am I doing what I'm doing for the glory of God? And two, am I doing it to serve others? Now, I'll say that again. Here's two diagnostic or evaluating questions that you can ask yourself in a given situation. Am I doing what I'm doing to bring glory to God, and am I doing it to serve others? Remember, a position is entrusted to you when you've shown yourself faithful. If you're desiring the power that a position brings, then you're not ready for it. I remember once when our family lived in Bolivia, uh, in South America. We were serving there as missionaries, and I encountered a situation where a fellow Christian was really encouraging us to misuse uh, power. Now we had been ministering kind of out in the villages, remote areas, and mostly with the churches, but on this particular occasion there was a school board meeting and I had been invited to come and join in. Now the community schools out in the villages for years had been under the control and direction of the Catholic priest, but times had changed and now an evangelical leadership had been voted in. At the meeting, One of the newly elected school board members said, we've been pushed around for years by the Catholics, but now we're in charge and it's our turn to show them. I couldn't believe what I heard. I remember I almost fell off my bench. And so I asked if I could speak and and they allowed me. And I I addressed the man in his remarks and I reminded him that this was not the attitude that Jesus would have us to have. That in leadership, we are not to lord it over others. I sat down and, and he stood up. And I wasn't quite sure what he was going to say. But he apologized. He apologized with what he had said uh, to the group. And he agreed that what I had said was correct. So it was a good outcome. But, you know, so often that's the case in life. Um, One group has had the upper hand and they've used this power and they've abused it. And they've put another group down. But then eventually that other group comes to power. And What do they seek to do? They seek to do the same thing all over again. Jesus says, not so with you. Our ambition as Christians is to do what? Is to do the will of God, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And He'll take care of what roles or titles or positions that we get in life. So, to recap, the gospel redeems and redefines our cultural idea of power, which is displayed in Jesus when He willingly laid down His life for us on the cross. Now, that's true power. God's version of power is found in humility and weakness, in servitude and submission not in dominance and force. Let's pray together. Father God, by the Holy Spirit, help us to apply your truth to our relationships and the roles that we have in life. Show us if we are lording it over others and help us to serve those that you have placed in our lives and to do so in true humility and servitude as Jesus did for us. It's in his name that I ask this. Amen. So we have here, are three questions for you to discuss today. So, question number one. Have you ever had someone lorded over you? How did it make you feel? Two, have you ever been in a position of authority where you have found it hard to know what the right thing to do was? Can you share that situation? And three, do the two evaluating questions help you assess your motives? Are you doing what you're doing for God's glory? Are you doing it to serve others? If so, can you share how you think these questions might help you? thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.